0: Welcome, everyone, as Fantastic Geek goes back in time, even further back in time, to talk Indiana Jones. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete.
1: Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to talk Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Found ourselves with a couple weeks to fill before Star Trek Picard Season 3, this after having finished off the original trilogy of star wars films and uh actually now we're running the sequel trilogy as well so you can catch that through our pop culture feed but we we gave you raiders of the lost ark last week we're doing indiana jones and the temple of doom today we'll get you Last Crusade and Crystal Skull later at a soft spot in our schedule ahead of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny
0: later this year. And Pete, continuing to look at that calendar, last week we posted our uh, podcast for the Picard final trailer. Uh, and tomorrow on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, Pete, I think with great vigor and joy, we will be discussing the forthcoming DCU, that's right, detective comics universe uh (laughs) slate of movies and tv shows uh ahead of us giving one more picard season three preview this time next week that picard preview coming on february 11th
1: yes with james gunn still straddling marvel finishing up a post-production on guardians of the galaxy volume three as well as digging into his new role there at DC, announcing that sleep a couple of days ago. Gonna save us all from the wreck that DC has become. And, uh, you know, really excited to talk about that. Earlier this week, we put out the uh, Picard season three uh, final trailer podcast, we put that out uh, last Monday um and then getting ready here for our uh you know debut with the show streaming beginning Thursday February 16th we're going to be bringing
0: you Star Trek Sundays. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Why Sundays? Well, first of all, the show's on a Thursday, a couple of days for people to digest, theorize, be in touch and so forth, but also gives us room for The Mandalorian which returns on March 3rd uh, and that is ahead of Star Wars Saturdays in March and Star Trek Sundays for, uh, obviously, February and March and into April. Uh, Again, weirdly, Pete, both shows, Mandalorian and Picard, ending the same week. So that'll just be interesting to see how these two, you know, shiny-headed dads wrap up their season.
1: Hence the need for us to uh, push... uh... Indiana Jones and the last Crusade and uh, Crystal Skull to a little bit later down the road. but digging in here, Matt to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, this 1984 release that nearly scuttled Pete's ninth birthday party.
0: Well, it's interesting to hear that there was that there was trouble afoot on your end. Fast forward a couple of years later, don't quite remember when, I'm going to say circa 1989, 1990, somewhere in there, uh, my brother and I are going up to uh, my father's cousin's house, so, you know, Aunt Elaine and Uncle Eric's house, Pete, you never met them, they now live in Florida, dad's side of the family, etc. cetera, but um, go there, we're going to go there for the weekend or for an overnight, You know, live about an hour north, oh, it's great, you know they had three kids they were all grown up and out of the house hey while i get dinner together aunt elaine says why don't you boys go into the tv room you want to watch an indiana jones sure i haven't seen indiana jones in the temple of doom uh and then pete i just remember being as a nine or ten year old terrified by the dinner scene and just like (laughs) during the bug scene looking at my brother being like how do we get out of here oh wait (laughs) we just got here we've been here an hour or two there still is you know dinner and hang out and sleep over and all that stuff and that has been my overwhelming memory of this movie until the last week so pete now let's rewind again happy birthday nine-year-old pete
1: (laughs) that's pretty funny to hear so obviously the film had come out Earlier in 1984, and of course, I had seen it. This at a time in history where a movie could play for six months, eight months, they might even re release it. And, you know, at this time in my youth, nine years old, Star Wars had ended. Indiana Jones was first and foremost. I wanted to be an archaeologist at this point in my young life. So, hey, birthday's coming around in September of 1984. What would you like to do? I want to go see Indiana Jones for the fifth time. Okay. Uh, Smaller, you know, what we might equate to more like the dollar theater had gotten it at this point. Okay. Inexpensive for the birthday party. Bring a couple of your friends and, you know, then go back to pizza, ice cream, whatever at the house. But holy smokes, Matt the pushback from the parents of my catholic school chums about going to see a movie where a heart rips out okay despite the fact that so many of them had already seen it and i flash back to may of that year when the movie's coming out and then you know ahead of this well this is a darker Indiana Jones, and then we started to find out some of the things, and there was even discussion amongst my parents, do we take the kids to see this, me being the oldest of four boys, averted that. Thankfully, cooler heads prevailed, what with allowing kids to come to a movie most of them had already seen uh, later that year in September
0: uh a quick check on box office mojo um the the mo- <laughs> i'm stunned by what i'm seeing here temple of doom obviously released uh towards the end of may of that year was still in the top 10 in the first half of september fell out of the top 10 to 11th place um in that second second week of october and so forth in, around week 18 of release which is just bonkers. It was still in, oh my goodness, Pete, this is not a joke, right around the time when your birthday is. Um, for the week of September 14th through 20th, it was in 666 theaters still. So yeah. how's that for... Uh, just...
1: Which was, at that time, probably most of the theaters in the United States. And like I said, it was at you know Bradley Beach cinema it was at you know kind of the second rate smaller community theater rather than you know what were closer to our multiplexes at that time and I'd seen it four times before um, so you know my parents were cool with it we were constantly playing Indiana Jones you know running around with a jump rope with uh, tape on the end of it turned into a whip and stuff like that uh, you know, had repurposed one of my mom's old handbags and turned it into the satchel there and and we would go and look for stones and other goofy stuff like that. Like this was the stuff of, of being nine years old and that the film, my favorite in the franchise, had this staying power at this time. Um, and then as we begin it, a prequel here, to the original in shanghai
0: well i'm glad that you say it's your favorite of the trilogy uh (laughs) and i'm I'm not even saying because i don't recognize the fourth film Uh, let me say this it was only in watching it for the podcast that i was saying to myself i don't know that i've ever actually i certainly have not watched this movie in adulthood um and i want to share a quote with you from uh critic neil gabler uh on the film's release because it captured my feelings so perfectly he said i think in some ways indiana jones and the temple of doom was better than raiders of the lost ark in some ways it was less in some total i'd have to say i enjoyed it more that doesn't mean it's better necessarily but i got more enjoyment out of it and that is a thousand percent what i felt at the end of this journey which of course as you're setting up here pete takes us to I mean, did people know it was a prequel at the time? How 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 well known was it? We've gone from 1938 uh, eight or nine to 1935. I know it's on screen, but was that part of the consciousness as people watched it?
1: I think I remember as we were watching this. Okay, this takes place go- going into it. Oh, all right, they're they're doing a prequel story. I I knew the idea prequel at this point in my life because the continuing discussion oh george lucas will go back and do the prequels for the star wars movies uh which of course at that was mostly hearsay and and pipe dream uh until you know the 90s that there was you know documented discussion about that so i knew what it was and my mom was pretty plugged in on this stuff too, so I'm I'm pretty sure we had had that discussion. Okay, this is before the original, hence Shorty, hence you know different uh, love interest in the movie, um, and then you get the ultimate Easter egg, Matt. This is what an Easter egg is, in that the opening scene occurs in Club Obi Wan.
0: I feel like I have a vague memory of seeing this on tape and maybe catching catching glimpses of it. Of course, it's only ever the titles are only shown outside. Um, it certainly is not front and center on the film, the widescreen version of the film and so forth. Even now, I think it's noticeable enough where I think it maybe shows up two or three times where I think you're supposed to go nudge, nudge. You see that Obi-Wan because it's George Lucas. Um, but what a, I mean, I don't know, again, I don't know exactly what it would have been like to settle into watching this movie for the first time, having seen the first one a bunch of times and there's no other movies, there's no other TV shows and so forth. But it must have been such joy. I know it was for me, even kind of knowing the general shape of the film, to settle into this big, fun, razzle-dazzle musical number mm-hmm. um, and presaging the plans that would... Retrition five years after this film came out there's uh there's indiana jones in the white tuxedo jacket with black pants and red flower i mean he is 1935 james bond the, the idea of george lucas saying well i can't get a i can't get a james bond movie and george says well how about how about you do this indiana jones thing i mean here it is this is a full james bond-esque type opening here
1: it is and the film, interestingly, downplays his academic side. It's more of like the grave robber aspect. He's going to sell this MacGuffin to Lao Shea and his sons here. It's not, this belongs in a museum. And later on with the Sankara Stones, it's going to again be, well, this will bring me money and fame not, this needs to be studied. So the change happens in those adventures off screen. Um, and I would argue this is the most Indiana Jones of the films. I mean, given that it occurs chronologically first um, and how it informs the others going forward. But as you said, you know, all cleaned up in the tux, uh, we've got Kate Capshaw just having sung in Mandarin. Anything goes here with the the one thing that takes me out of the the dance sequence is when the girls do the splits and then they blatantly play it in reverse like they're hopping up from the splits <laughs> and, and kicking their legs uh, before she uh, grabs the gigantic, um, what is it, the handkerchiefs that they've all pulled out of one another's uh, suits there to, to turn into one massive one, but it is a super fun beginning dropping us right in the middle of this. Uh, And then the tension over the adventure again, we did not see that the night before he's dug up this artifact and the antagonist wanted to get it early and without paying for it
0: yeah it's just as you say, we're immediately dropped into this familiar story with a character that we've only seen one other time, but still it's got these echoes of the the serials that that it pulls from and so forth. um
1: it's interestingly uh, you know the the case that no one ever talks about, you know with Star Wars well, where do I start? Do I start at episode four? Do I do uh, one through nine? Nobody says, you watch Temple of Doom and then you watch Raiders.
0: Well, we we talked a bit last week, and I think it's even more true with this film, The the pressure... On Lucas for you know you've created in Star Wars it's the modern myth and it t- it's a story that ties us all together all the way back to to Gilgamesh nay the Bible and nay you know whatever it might be nay Cro-Magnon times uh and how the Indiana Jones films uh were a place for him to be like I'm just gonna make a I'm gonna make a 30 million dollar B movie we spoke last time how you know Spielberg was critically acclaimed but had had you know he's the guy that takes 30 takes and blows past the budget and Raiders was an opportunity for him to show restraint. Now, what has happened in between Raiders and this film? As you mentioned, Pete, the end of Star Wars for forever with Return of the Jedi. Also, a movie, Pete, that I know is extremely super well regarded, but one that I think that in in decades to come is going to only have a uh, an even further rising star two years prior to this is E.T., um, which to this day has insane box office records like mm-hmm. longest time in the top 10, the top 15, top 20. you think Titanic and Avatar and Avatar 2 were big deals. Uh, if, like me, you're too young to have been around the movies or at the movies for E.T., that was the end-all and be-all mm-hmm. in so many ways. So I think, again, now, now we have Spielberg as well as Lucas saying, oh my goodness, all this, all this art that I've done and I can take a little bit of break and like, let's just let's just do essentially a movie that doesn't really need any character development from the main character in terms of, so what's, oh, he's part-time this and also an academic and so on and so forth. We don't need the pressures of, you know, the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. We don't need the pressures of Nazi regimes. We're going to go out and just, just go for it in a movie that is pretty nonstop in its action.
1: And with the gambit, early on here the lazy susan with the uh the remains of nerhachi and then uh you know it, it's so great to rewatch this film and the rewatchability of it all right what's he do uh indiana jones picks up the the cloudy you you only see it after the fact uh drink there and you know willie's uh, moving around and he's poked her with the tongs there and he just misses taking uh, the drink and Lao Tse's angry like, I almost had him. And then the antidote is in play and then things spiral out of control. But it's in this scene for the first time that we link up with Raiders in terms of the the edgier gore Taking the uh, flaming hog balls, whatever there, and you know where Indy throws them at Lao She's one son and impales him. Um, and again, it's an early hint at the the type of imagery that would eventually lead. It's not this film I had misremembered it for years that eventually leads to the advent of PG-13. Later, the summer the movie was released, the first PG-13 movie being Red Dawn.
0: Yeah, commonly misremembered. It, it is commonly misremembered that this is the first PG-13 movie. This is the summer that obviously this movie, as well as Gremlins, came out. And such was the such was the uproar for a movie that did three hundred thirty-three million dollars and was you know in the top three of the box office for nineteen eighty-four. Such was the uproar that. Uh, It was Spielberg who suggested to the MPAA there should be something in between PG and R. And like two months later, so by the middle of the summer of 1984, they had established the PG-13 rating. uh, Then as you say, Pete, the first movies to actually receive it, you know, a bit farther down the pike.
1: Yeah. But at this point in the story, uh, introducing... um short round okay, played here by uh, K. Hui Kwan, who, you know, now we're, we're in the days leading up, Matt, to when he's probably gonna snag an Oscar. He's in season two of Loki, and somebody who nearly 40 years ago, I mean, 40 years ago, they're filming this movie, okay, uh, gets introduced in this, and uh we've kind of had with his renaissance here somebody who was pretty much doing just stunt work and has talked about how he couldn't get a job for so many years um all this discussion now well hey maybe short Round needs to return to the indiana jones universe is he in this final film if he is great we need to continue that if he's not maybe we need to spin him off on you know his own adventures maybe he needs uh, a series on disney plus
0: pete today february 4th 2023 let me make the prediction that there's only one person that the oscars are going to want to present the best supporting actor oscar <laughs> i i would almost guarantee you know, ladies and gentlemen, Harrison Ford when he walks out to deliver these Oscars, that's going to be because you know o- Oscar got ahead of itself a couple of years ago with the late great Chadwick Boseman, who did not win Best Actor, um, yeah. because you don't get out ahead too much to have your your magic moment. But you know, Harrison Ford, Oscar royalty, Hollywood royalty. Um, the box I would almost
1: the star of yeah. the millennium.
0: I would. I would. I would guarantee that they, will, that they, the Oscars, will really, really be assuming that Ki Hui Kwan is going to be the one to take home that Oscar. Harrison Ford can be the one to deliver it. And if, for some reason, Kwan doesn't win it, you can still have Harrison Ford delivering it, and it, it would be a lovely moment nonetheless.
1: But hold on to your potatoes, Matt. Having crashed into the back of a car here, the reveal that there is a child driving the car you know we are essentially Willie at this point in the story okay little boy's got a new york giants hat not a yankees hat like in the previous film and like so many people misunderstand okay and the revelation that is this character and this relationship in the film
0: yeah and It's almost like, where's my Temple of Doom prequel? Because I'd love, I mean, we get it in dialogue and you want to say, well, this is uber George Lucas to be referring to the part of the thing that you never saw. But in this case, he doesn't intend to actually make it. Um, But one can imagine, you know, in the Indiana Jones serials, if you came three weeks ago, you would have seen this. But now that's that's gone because it's a 15-part serial. Um, But again, just this notion of, as we're going to learn later on, he was a pickpocket he was pickpocketing indiana jones family gone indy takes him under his uh under his wing and so forth um it's just it's a great it's a great character as you say we're kind of suddenly injected into things um we get some of the background later on and uh and unfortunately no more at least so far holding out hope for june
1: a hero in his own right let's give this character let's give this actor his own movie his own show as this character i remember you know your years later when you see um last crusade it's 1989 you've moved on i'm five years older there's a little bit of the you know ewokization with shorty people were like oh they're trying to make it too cutesy despite the the harder gore and violence in this film uh so that argument doesn't truly wash um but like oh man he's not in last crusade he's not even referenced you know and and they've never done anything else with him yet super hopeful that's gonna happen okay but what does he do here he's the wheel man uh indy takes the uh the antidote willies again squirming around in the back of the car drops the gun okay uh so you know checking all the boxes on this rollicking adventure okay even cram in a dan Aykroyd cameo as we get into the fateful plane
0: yeah uh, which i knew to look for i don't know that i would have i don't know that i would have caught it i mean it's the strangest of cameos in that he doesn't even get, like, a close-up where you go... He had a big
1: go... 1984.
0: <laughs> yeah, he had a big at 1984, yeah. Um, it's, a, it, it's a very, very strange thing, because to my thinking, like, there w- was there a Dan Aykroyd-Steven Spielberg connection prior to then? I mean, off the top of my head, no, and I don't think afterwards, like... Again, it'd be one thing if it was, like, it's because he was just getting to know Harrison Ford, and they would go on to co-produce and star in, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just... It, it's this weird anomaly hey celebrity cameo that certainly is welcome but we also like don't get the close-up um but you know it's the capper of this fun car chase it's this quick hurry up hurry up get on the plane um and then you know just the 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 story piece de resistance here in terms of you know just in case with all the fun you've forgotten the name of our baddie for this (laughs) portion here you know Goodbye, Lao She. boom, right. Lao She Airlines, Laoshe Freight, whatever it is. That's when you go, oh, it's just gone from bad to worse. And, you know, we know it and they don't. And that's part of the that's part of the fun of this movie from beginning to end.
1: Right. Doesn't make sense with what happens on the plane if you don't see the name plastered on the, the side of it there. Uh, so, of course, we do our classic globe trotting with the plane here over. Uh, the various locations and ultimately those pilots jumping out because their bosses told them to, to doom Indy. Okay. Without the fuel, because we know that Indy can fly a plane uh, and crashing over India. Uh, you, you know, to look for it because the physics are impossible that it is not them in the inflatable raft being blown up and in fact you can even see it like tip to a point there's there's no way human beings could be in there for that stunt
0: yeah it looked it looked at moments like it was approaching being a model and part of this movie maybe even more so than the last than parts of the last one this movie is existing in a reality that isn't that doesn't need to be held up to scrutiny, you know. I know that there's there's been some discussion over the years in terms of how it's treating um, Indian culture and things of that sort, and I think it's a fair criticism. But I would also say I don't think I don't think that the average moviegoer is watching any of this and saying this is realistic. This is actually those three actors in a raft. Flying down onto a snowy mountain, or that they're in the the rapids, or that I actually believe that there's a you know uh, a, a child slave, death cult, and so forth. All, all of this comes with a grain of salt with the the fun that we're having, the ridiculousness that we're having. I, I don't think anybody thinks that chilled monkey brains are actually on the menu.
1: And then to have that, them falling from the sky, become the impetus here. You have the head of the village who spots them, who they kind of follow. And as we approach here through the matte painting and the real world uh, you know, shooting that they did, that this village is barren, that they're in a bad spot, that these people need food, yet they are giving food To Indy, to Willie, to Shorty, and then laying out our exposition here. The sacred stone in the center has been stolen. All this bad luck has uh, taken place. And then ah, the terrible reveal that one night the men went out into the fields to fight a fire, came back to find that all their children had been taken.
0: And I would say, too, I, I was certainly not aware of concerns that Short Round was the the cutesy factor here. Um, but, again, kind of but backwardly working on the story, if you're going to have all the children are gone and the ultimate through line that we care about is saving all these children as opposed to, like, hey, it's cool to get stones, bro, but <laughs> how does that compare to the first film where we're dealing with, you know ancient ancient forces versus you know the nazi threat and so forth you have to have some oomph here okay save the kids save the day and so forth why not have a distillation of uh, uh, of kind of the the child maybe it's not a child from this village and, and certainly it's not meant to be but just to have the child presence all the way through um it's something that makes sense and i think that it's something that we're sympathetic to particularly as you hear about the sacred stones and you know, now we're back with that kind of, you know, ph- phony baloney archaeological stuff of myth and legend and uh, trinkets and their powers and so forth.
1: Well, the lore of Pancod Palace and that there's a new Maharaja who's uh, told them they will pray to their evil god that the that the darkness has spread again. And they said they wouldn't and hence the stone taken there and then you, you're kind of at a point of all right you hear this story and they think the villagers do that indy who they find out is an archaeologist because you know he's got this knowledge and he's got the get up and everything like that will he be the one to go do this for them and then the further advancement of the story that one of the abducted children manages to escape, to return. It's strongly implied. He dies in Indy's arms. Uh, but you know, we're told that, uh, uh, shorty heard from him that, okay, he was at Pancod palace and he's got the little pictogram of the Sankara stones with Shiva. And the laying out of this idea that follows through, we'll go get those stones, not just to save the kids, but the kind of greedy materialistic aspect of this earliest Indiana Jones, and we will go gain fortune and glory.
0: And I know the, you know, the the cliff note, Psychological take on this film is, you know, on the heels of a you know divorce for Lucas and a a crumbling relationship. might have been a marriage for Spielberg. They got angry and they made this movie. Um, yes, it is darker. Um I I have to admit, I was surprised. I was expecting something worse. Again, I was watching this with nine or ten-year-old eyes and, and having been horrified by it. Um, there's a Spielberg quote that essentially says. You know, with a sequel, if you do the exact same thing over again, then some people are annoyed that you didn't advance in any way. And then if you advance in any way, people are, some people are upset that you didn't keep it the way it was. I know Star Wars stays eternal in terms of its tone for the most part. I think there is something to be said. If your, if your core audience for this is the, the Lucasfilm audience, Star Wars and Indiana Jones, you know, we'll throw E.T. in there, though it's not a, a Lucasfilm audience production um how much has your audience grown up since 1977 and how many of them can handle this movie as you know 9 10 12 15 20 year olds versus the perpetual the image of the perpetual you know six-year-old eyes wide open as the you know the, the the ship is the little ship is escaping the big ship in the beginning of star wars um this th- yeah there's a slightly darker tone there's some gleefulness in the darkness but it's it's working even if both guys were sad because they got divorced so we go on this
1: elephant trek here they're not gonna go to uh new delhi but instead to this pankod palace figure out what's going on with the motivation for the village um We've got Willie with the antics on the elephant, and then later with the campfire scene with all the various creatures of the jungle. Um, you know, the the really fun one being, all right, established that the elephant continues to annoy her. And then just from Indy's perspective, seeing the snake, she thinks it's the trunk of the elephant and throwing it and then him reacting.
0: Which at the, at the beginning of the scene, I was like, Oh, this is what I remember that she just runs around and screams for the entire movie. Um, it's actually just largely distilled into this scene. Uh, and yes, it's played for humor. I think maybe it's a, it's a tad, it's a tad much for my taste in terms of like, we get it. She's a really shrill lady who can't handle things um that tone is maybe a a smidge too much however as you're saying pete it ends with no actually she can hand herself tremendously and here she is this this greatest of symbol of scary things for indiana jones and i would imagine by and large as you're uh, as the you i don't mean necessarily you pete but as as the audience is sitting there saying oh man the scariest thing to happen in the last movie was snakes um here she is fearless of them uh so i think it is ultimately giving her some some characterization and character growth there for us to understand that she she's very capable
1: the future mrs spielberg matt Cade, capshaw you know decidedly different love interest co-star than karen allen you know the tough cookie and they couldn't revisit that at least not right away um so smart to make so different and then a different type of appeal right like this is the fish out of water rather than somebody who can go on the adventures with indiana jones and keep up um in marion and you know then you throw shorty into the mix like That's a really great scene. They're playing cards. They're both cheating. She's freaking out about all the things in every direction of the jungle, not understanding it's the wilderness with everything that came in. The previous scene of her getting tossed off the elephant because she's using expensive perfume to try to make a wild animal smell less.
0: And I think, you know, it's a great – this scene is a great reminder too – Uh, and and this movie is a reminder that these were conceived to be the you know kind of kind of in the cut in the same cut from the same cloth as James Bond and the audience has long since been trained to not say but wait where's the lady from the last one she's not back in this one they were kissing in a boat at the end and now they're not like we we just take that for granted now Um, and kind of it's It's almost like the burden is on this movie to say, yeah, we have the same rules and we really, really mean it. That this is, these are largely standalone and so forth. Um, And again, I I, I watched 95% of this movie with so much glee because it's, I I think I like it better than the first one.
1: But we start to really ramp up at this point in the story. You know, there's vampire bats, despite... John Williams really rousing score, you know, Shorty's theme being what is really done throughout the uh, journey here. And then with the arrival near Pancot Palace uh, of fingers, severed fingers around this statue that Indy doesn't want Shorty to see. And then once they're welcomed here, uh, the first of, a couple of uh, Gandhi uh, alum uh, with uh, that's Roshan Seth as uh, the Prime Minister of Pankot Chatter Lal, and then eventually Amrish Puri as Mohan Ram, uh, smart to raid that uh, enormous critical and commercial success for a film set in that part of the world for these character actors. Um, and then the complete and total slingshot of this gross out dinner scene that for a nine year old was simultaneously in my wheelhouse. And also to this point, maybe the grossest thing I'd ever seen.
0: And I would say that grossness really holds up. I did not, re- all I remembered was somebody eats bugs. And then I remembered, <laughs> I remembered there was monkey something. And I was like, okay, I know that it's. The James Bond movie Octopussy that has also monkey heads, but it's or goat heads and monkey heads, and somebody's eating an eyeball. Which, if you kind of look carefully, you can see how it's a hard-boiled egg and so forth. So I knew I knew there was kind of stuff afoot here, and I wasn't quite remembering the particulars. The snake that that gets cut open, and then there's live snakes coming out of it. Pete, that I had forgotten, and then there's <laughs> again it, it, it it's gross out, and then cut to guy who's neck up gobble gobble the snakes like i think that's when i personally you know indian culture is not my culture nor your culture pete it i i personally reject any notion of saying oh this is what some people are like like this scene is so over the top i don't buy it as going on in the republic of india today or 50 years ago or anything like that it's just the, the setting happens to be India. The people happen to be Indian, but I don't. I to me, none of the none of the grossness here is is approaching reality.
1: And I don't think I ever believe that it was more the exotic nature of what could be eaten in, in other parts of the world, where it's not over the top commercialized. Um, I, I think I largely got that as a nine-year-old seeing it, you know, but just the imagination of all these different dishes that come. And then of course, after Ben offered the snake surprise and then the, the gigantic beetles that they're sucking the, the protein out of the, the thorax Oh, do you have something simple like soup? And you're like, Oh, all right, of course it's going to be fine. And then, you know, maybe the most over the top of them that there are human eyeballs <laughs> in the soup and, and maybe some foreshadowing of what the hell is going on
0: in this palace. Um It's funny. I hadn't read them as human eyeballs. Just, Oh, Again. they're
1: the size and, and shape of human eyeballs. I mean, it, it's like, wait, they saw this and they didn't communicate this to Indy. Granted, you know, he's deep in conversation and, you know, almost a diplomatic incident here. The The subtext, too, of his conversation with the prime minister and Captain Blumbert there, uh, you know, kind of coming for the ride of, of the catch up of this thuggy backstory that, oh, they're gone. They're definitely not back. And they had been around in the 1800s. And then wait a minute uh dr jones you've you've pushed things a little bit here kind of like you pushed them in madagascar and what he was going to cut uh your favorite appendage off
0: (laughs) um uh, while i don't need to see that particular scene hey where's that madagascar prequel and so forth (laughs) um uh why didn't they explore that in the young indiana jones chronicles which now by the way doesn't exist on digital and hasn't for forever uh, maybe that gets figured out at some point, but um... I don't
1: remember very fondly, like I remember that being a big deal when they came to a b c but I remember watching some of them and being like, This is not Indiana Jones movie exciting. it's week to week. it is watered down it It's just not as good, and I've not seen all of them."
0: That's my recollection I did watch as well. The
1: big one where uh, um, Harrison Ford appears with a beard. I, I did watch that. I remember that being an enormous deal and being really let down
0: by that. Um, and for people who haven't seen it, it was a weird experiment in that some episodes were with Indy, circa age nineteen, with one yeah. actor, and some were like circa him, circa age nine. So you watch the uh i have to think of the years here you know you watch the kind of because i think as a as a kid there's a world war one trench story but then next week it's like the roaring 20s and papa hemingway and then you're back to 1918 like just stuff like that where it was tonally it was weird um but uh, (laughs) i guess pete back to the tonal weirdness that we're enjoying of this scene where, where as you say um while these increasingly gross things are served and then we get to chilled monkey brains um there is that conversation at the head of the table um which again at any point indie could have looked over and been like oh she's not eating or she is revolted or there's trouble afoot again this movie is there, there, there's a gauziness to this movie that i don't think we buy as full reality we know that we're here to have fun you know it's this it's like a la any roller coaster type ride, you know I think mm-hmm. of the 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 Jurassic Park Jurassic world ride, oh no, what do you mean we're on the wrong track and we are headed inside the power plant like yeah, that's part of the fun is knowing that there's trouble afoot,
1: yeah, you know roller coaster will come later in the film. This is the fun house portion of it, you know we've just entered in, and all right, here, close your eyes, stick your hands in this oh it's it's eyeballs. That are really peeled grapes or or what have you. And then the the Willie story, as simplistic as it is, the materialism, oh, you know, she's dressed up here. The Maharaja seems to be swimming in loot. And then the little boy comes out. And then to have this scene's real emotional underpinning, oh, I've been quietly, seemingly, boringly interested uh, in this uh, conversation that the prime minister is having with my guests here. And I'll never allow this to happen again until later you see me with a voodoo doll and uh, under the black sleep of Kali.
0: Worth mentioning that the Maharaja is voice dubbed by uh, voice actress Katie Lee, who you know if you've seen stuff you've seen you've you, you've heard her voice in many many things rescue rangers darkwing duck you know things of that sort um and it, the smurfs and it was like going back i was like oh right that is just like standard animation voice of like you know oh let me explain things it's like oh that's totally a gummy bear and somebody from this that the other that you've heard either while no she she literally would had a voice in gummy bears like just you've you you sit and go yes that is an animated voice got it um but um yeah as you say pete just as the story might be running out of things for willie now she's she's more interested in the, the the situation however it might be despite the fact that the you know The archaeologist is is a tad on the young side for Willie's tastes.
1: So they get out of there having avoided the full-on diplomatic incident, but nobody's eaten because of our delicate American palates uh, and uh, the romantic tension beginning to really crank up between Indy and Willie. He's got the fruit there. Uh, the the back and forth playfulness of this. Oh, you know, I've, I've got you this. Come on and invite me in. Oh, no, wait, I'm not that easy. And then the pride taking over before ultimately Indy is uh, attacked from the shadows by one of these
0: thuggies. The tension, the chemistry between the two of them really, really is wonderful. Um, Spielberg, I see you taking the bite of the apple is Indiana Jones and she wants to take a bite of the apple and so forth. Gotcha. With your sim, uh, symbols and so forth. Um, the whole countdown of the five minutes and, and so forth, it, it does such a service to the character of Willie Scott, because, you know, despite the fact that this is our second Indiana Jones movie and she was not the action adventure person in the opening scenes and so forth and earlier she was screaming over all the creatures of the night and all that it's showing that at their heart at their core these two are equals um and then the the fight scene that you referenced there pete the fight scene is fun you know again some of it kind of that classic stuff you know with the shadows and so forth um And again, leaning into that, you know, they didn't call it PG-13 yet, but the way that that scene ends with the whip and the guy kind of pulled up into the fan and so forth, it definitely is kind of one of those moments where you go, ooh, yikes, like that, like I felt that one.
1: It's funny that for a film that is regarded that they dropped all restraint and went full gross out which we're heading towards with the temple of doom ceremony, that there are a number of times, this being the first Indy tossing the whip into the fan and um, shorty looking away because this man is hanged. And later on with Indy in the mine, when, uh, the, chief uh guard played by pat roach the same stuntman actor as the big bald-headed german mechanic from the original film um gets pulled into the uh, the, the steamroller crusher there and there's the first little bit of blood and uh everybody looks away, Indy looks away, Willie looks away. Like this is too much for us and we will merely imply the gore and the gross out. It's interesting that they tow a line there, you know, but a, but a heart, a still beating heart coming out of a chest, um, which was very realistic for the time and something then I'm making the decision as I'm watching for the first time. Do I watch this or do I cover my eyes?
0: Um, I think the effect by and large holds up even now. I mean, if you know it's coming in, then you could then be like, Oh, I'm going to see where it's fake. And it's like, that's like the guy's face panned down to his chest, fingers on the chest, cut to something else, cut to the fingers entering a slightly latexy looking chest. Like, you can you can break down the pieces. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, look, every every movie with a budget as big as this, almost thirty million dollars in nineteen eighty four, every movie should be you know kind of held to the highest standards. Um, is every movie made? Is every movie in nineteen eighty four made for us to pause it in four K <laughs> on a seventy inch screen TV? You know, no. Like some stuff can just go by quickly um while we're on the topic if if you'll pardon me take me taking things out of chronological order here a bit um maybe four or five months ago i saw on youtube you know special effects breakdown of stuff and one of the scenes they broke down was the the cart scene and they're you know they're pausing and they're like all right here's where it's this here's where it's that they were finding they're finding some of the seams of it with that knowledge and i didn't remember like, oh it's this shot it's that shot just knowing knowing they didn't build a giant thing and it was all real, knowing that there were some special effects there for the cart scene. Aside from some rear projection things, I'm hard pressed to say definitively, I know that this is a model, that this is an animation, that this is a, this, that this is stop motion. It's really, really well done. And I would say back to the heart here again, you watch it at full speed the first time without being a cynic, Aside from saying, I don't think they actually crushed a dude's chest and did this for real, aside from that, I think you're hard-pressed to sit and go, that is fake.
1: The really ratcheting up from film one to film two of the succession of set pieces that come later in these movies, I mean, that's really the hallmark, right? And I would argue to this point, in succession – in you know the second half of this film the way that the story rockets from okay the the bug hallway and the unfurling of of that oh we're stepping on fortune cookies those aren't cookies okay but they don't freak out and then they get in the next room that's going to crush them uh you know first trash compactor style and then the giant spikes come, so the potential not just for death, but that it's going to be nasty to look at. And then Willie, for the moment, saving the day, again, the fish out of water's got to go through uh, the awful room of all the different bugs and the grossness and the, the visceral thrills of that. Is it a little, you know, take-out uh, type of stuff when... We've got the. If it's not a stuntman, it's it's just a dummy with a blonde wig, shot from the rear of like the the giant uh, millipede going up the neck and all that as she's trying to reach her arm into the to the right. No, your other right hole there to pull the lever and a free uh, indie and shorty. It is, but. It really worked for the time. I would argue it largely holds up there. You know, we had to have some kind of booby trap in an Indiana Jones movie and for Shorty to first trigger it, you know, stand back after he had gotten them locked in there and then uh, Willie to come in and do it again and then the physics of just getting out of there in time before now we are in the temple of
0: doom couple of thoughts first of all i would have said that the booby trap was the statue and how they first got in but i digress <laughs> uh i'll take your word for the description there of the bug scene because i just legit i was like i know it's coming and as soon as it was like wait what are we stepping on fortune cookies i was like hey i'm putting the blanket over my head and i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna keep listening and i'm gonna wait until i'm sure it's over i'm not i'm not looking even now even now even oh, now wow. um And I will say this, that scene in particular, however, I think it's true for the rest of the movie that I also, you know, watch with my eyeballs. um, I'd like to make the, I'd like to make the un, um, the unscientific argument, the unmeasured argument, is this the best score by John Williams? And let me say why I ask that. He's so, obviously he's so great with all these iconic themes throughout the ages Uh, throughout his entire career and probably you could easily say but here's 10 different movies where the themes are better and so forth and and i would grant you but to hear him play to hear the music and the sound effects and the dialogue in that scene um i think captured his his score his oscar-nominated score which you know can't rely nonstop on um uh, on the indiana jones theme for every moment it's kind of playing the emotion of each scene and it is such a lush rich score and again that's not to take away from i think williams's greater strength which is having different themes that describe having different light motifs that describe characters and situations and places and so forth he has less of that here we're with indiana jones the entire time we're at an asian setting the entire time couple you know obviously shanghai much different from india and so forth but by and large, most of it is taking place in India, so the opportunity to to have a, you know more of a cultural thing here, or more of a this, or it's capturing the militarism of the empire, etc. It's there's kind of less wiggle room for him, and I think that nonetheless, the the uh, score really flourishes. The
1: really the mix of driving uh, musical pieces and and then the character stuff comes together so well for the second half of this film and you know the the tension of the the spikes and the ceiling lowering and are are they gonna get out? Of course they get out because we have an adventure in a couple years. Shorty and Willie might not get out. That's that's who we worry for in this film, obviously. And you're not gonna kill off the titular character in a prequel, um, but the the way that it plays out, and now you're halfway through the movie, and uh, all three of our characters are now us watching this ceremony play out, and pretty much everybody who went to this film knew, okay, there is a really talked about scene. So much so worrying about the content. And here's what it is: a heart is pulled from another character's chest. There was a lot of worry on the ground. Do they do this to Indy? There's the fake out, I think, smartly later on with Willie. Oh, he's going to do it. No, we're not gonna do it. And you know why? Because she's a lady and we're we're not gonna be able to show that instead. Now we'll go over to evil Indy. He gets to put her in the, in the swing and, and lower her into the, the subterranean volcano or w- what that even is. <laughs> it's funny, you know, so many of these things in this film in particular get no explanation, but we buy. The idea that they're sitting on top of some kind of swirling magma thing, the, the physics really defeating it, But, you know, all right, there's a there's a river of lava between where the worshipers are and where the officiants of this odd exotic ceremony uh, are. And okay, here comes a guy. Oh, he's got a lay on. He's got the the headdress. Oh, my God. They've now pulled this this bald guy. We don't we don't see the villain of the movie till. The second half, Molaram here, okay, but the menace is instantly there. This dude pulled somebody's heart out of their chest. It's played with, again, two other times with Willie, and then on the rope bridge, is he going to do it to Indy here, who somehow fights it off then?
0: I mean, the character of Molaram just magnificent and the way amrish puri plays him is is stunning had this movie been made a couple of decades later um i mean i feel like amrish puri would have been would would have had more of a uh a crossover to hollywood because he's just he's fantastic i would i would have loved to have seen him in, in a variety of roles i know that his um certainly he did not he did not lack for a resume in Indian cinema and theater and so forth 450 roles and so forth so he certainly had a heck of a career for his uh, passing in uh, 2005 but he's fantastic and I have to mention I mean this set what a set. Mm-hmm. And you could, ju- I mean, I could just imagine, you know, if this was being made today. All right, here's the minimal thing that you build, right? And then here's where your green screen, and here's where you set extension. Meanwhile, because they built this thing, all right, there's some there's some length of, of of tunnel that Indy and uh, and Willie and Short Round take so they can look over it. So that you know that has been built, and then you're able to use that corner to look over it. There's the main audience area that we will spend a little bit of time in there's the sides with all these details and Indy's going to crawl over or, or step over on, uh, on, on, one of those sides. There's the whole platform area that then when the camera is turned around and we're now looking at the, the audience area and so forth, just the every.
1: Musicians in there, right. There's a little yeah. area where they are. It's a super complete and extensive and really imaginative set out of a nightmare, you know the the Kali statue with the skull and the arms and that the chains uh, go up to the arms, and then you've got the the other skull where the three Sankara stones that they have so far are, um, and that Indy is there to steal them. <laughs> Uh, the, now they've stolen them themselves, so you know it, it's it's kind of that Robin Hood trope. Uh, but he he takes them because they leave them unguarded, which is a little bit of a hole in the in the logic there. But it is their temple, okay? Imagine them secure. But what stops him? He hears the screams of the children and goes deeper in. Meanwhile. Shorty and Willie are caught right after that. He doesn't hear their screams. Okay. And then uh, we have Indy really forgetting himself, seeing the children whipped, beaten, uh, trying to stop it, and then getting caught cold in his tracks.
0: Yeah. And insofar as part of the mission brief of this film is to, as with the first one, string together a bunch of action set pieces. Um, I think it's a really smart story turn because we can trade in the vagaries of black magic and things of that sort. Um, to have him captured, to have him, you know, in, in, in an appropriately drawn out and gross scene, no, he's not going to drink the the stuff from the skull and then the, the stuntman in brown face, which maybe... That's one area where I'll say in, in the land of India, you couldn't find a six foot three muscle guy who can also do, you know, you you could choreograph a stunt fight, uh, a stunt scene with, um, so some, some, if I was lovingly able to overlook it in the dinner scene here, okay, a little bit less so, but just the whole, you know, finally it's poured in there and pinch the nose and, and all that. And oh no, we've lost our hero from the scene. Also mentioned Pete, you know, I'm not I'm not uh I'm not I'm not watching these movies for any kind of beefcake here, but you know, Harrison Ford at this physical peak here, you know, he gets whipped. Pete, shades of shades of Amidala a decade or so later. Yeah. Oh yeah. no. Well,
1: later with the with the shirt that, you know, iconically one sleeve completely ripped off and then, you know, whip marks across the back. They they know this is height of his physical game Harrison Ford and to show that off you know little boys this one included wanted to be him little girls maybe started to have interesting feelings towards him and maybe even some boys uh but yeah we we recognize his rugged handsome nature why not play that off um you mentioned Pat Roach there as as the chief guard and yes, there is appropriation going on. I, I never saw it until I finally saw it um, and to find out years later, oh, wait, that's the, the bald guy from the previous movie that beat the crap out of Indy and and now he's playing this guy. Oh, I like that they brought him over. Oh, you're not really supposed to do that there. And it, it should be someone from that culture. You did it with Mullah Ram. You did it with the prime minister there's no stunt men in India. I, I agree with you on that. So that is difficult. He does present the the muscle though, whereas Mullah Ram is the menace. And, you know, what links that scene so strongly, the idea that they're caught, they're caged like the children, the uh, pre-announcement that, Okay, the black sleep of Kali. You're you're there, but it's like a nightmare. So then, when we see it happen, and Shorty is is yelling for him, you know, to spit it out, and he does, and then to be made to consume it, and the the voodoo sequence uh, too. That the Maharaja is the one doing that, um, the torture aspect the the lack of consent to it, um, to to have evil indie emerge here, and again the core relationship of the film, Indy and shorty, to the point where just rewatching it to discuss it today, when the second ceremony comes and shorty escapes, and to come up there and then be waving the torch around. And before he does it to Indy, because he doesn't know it's going to work, I love you. And then the follow-up to that after they've taken care of business in the temple and Mullah Ram has gone from standing and taking off his hat skull thing to suddenly laying vertically and rolling through the funny trap door there to get away that, you know, Shorty gives him the hat, puts it on, time to get out of here, right, all of us.
0: Yeah, it's 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 so well done because the movie, in the best sense possible, kind of the, the middle falls out when you have evil Indy. Um, and you know he's going to come back, but you don't know how. And for it to be with that connection that we've had all movie and with the connection that we can you know in, in our false memory the connection between these two characters that has existed for all the prior stories that we have never seen and so forth and um
1: successive. Come on, man. You know that Indy was sitting there with a beard in the audience when, you know, short rounds there there's a non-canonical full name for him, his real name. Some people think um and it does not go to the script because it's not identified as him. At one point, he's telling Indy in the village, you know, you listen to, and he uses a name. The implication people have made is that he's saying his name, that he's speaking in the third person, you listen to me, um, you know, and you'll live longer. Uh, but, you know, the, those adventures, again, in between those gray areas that, They maintain a lifelong bond that Shorty's still in his life because of this connection. Other than his father in the films, this is the character he is arguably the closest with. He's got the love-hate love relationship with Marion, Matt's favorite character, uh, Mutt, I'm sure, later on, you know, when we discuss that. Okay, no, I I think he's, you know, Shorty's the the son he always had.
0: Look, when you proposed we do the Indiana Jones movies for this little space in the schedule, and I was jokingly saying, you know, but not the fourth one. Hey, you want to, Pete? Next week when we do the our final Picard preview, why don't we just do Last Crusade? So then we've done the three, and we might run out of time for the fourth (laughs) one. While part of me still stands by it. I was expecting a different movie out of Temple of Doom. And again, I enjoyed it so very much. I don't think I'm going to say the exact same thing for uh, the fourth movie, but I'm... I'm going to
1: try to convince you there's some value to it.
0: Yeah, if nothing else, I'm, I'm ready when the time comes. I'm ready to give it a fresh look. And if worse comes to worse, it's just, you know, the same two and a half hours of... I'll use the I'll use the pedism if it's just two and a half hours of soup sandwich, I'll take it um, just 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 because maybe oh maybe it'll be something even approaching my Temple of Doom experience this movie that I just enjoyed so so much
1: the sequence they're lowering Willie then she's coming back up then she's getting lowered again then she's going back up and you know real credit to the blocking of this action. This is a deep storyboard point in Hollywood and how well it comes across. We really worry for Willie. Uh, And then there's the way that they smartly put the flowers on her. And even once she's saved, she's uh, burned around her face with uh, the way that they use the makeup. Um, that's at something that, as a child, I really bought that she was just in this, uh, you know, area where she was going to be lowered into a a swirling volcano, Um, and you know, it it still really holds up.
0: It does, and I think, you know, they built. I don't know what came first, the plans to film on the set or. Filming on the set. I mean, obviously the plans came first, literally. But just the point being, they spend so much time here in the story. I think part of it is because of the fidelity of the set, and obviously you know it's a it's a different set that she's being lowered down and so forth. But if you're going to commit the time to be in the Temple of Doom, which is a contrast from the prior film, that really, really is globe hopping. And you know, if your if your tramp freight or submarine scene doesn't really sing, all right edit you know 90 seconds off of it keep things moving bing bang boom before you know it you're in a sub doc you're into this you're in the desert you're in a different desert you're in the star wars tunisia desert like move 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 this i mean yes there's a lot going on in the titular temple of doom and uh, to a point pete i remember as a kid i want to say maybe it was like the p uh, on pbs there was a behind the scenes on how this was made so it would have been after the movie came out but certainly before i saw it um, and I do remember them doing, it might've been pre-visualization of the cart chase with models, or it might've been some of the model work that makes its way into the movie. But I have this memory of like, wow, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, they do all this work to make a movie and being really enamored by that. Like that, that is my first memory of the film. Hey, there's this cart chase in it. There's a certain point here after the fight with Pat Roach and so on and so forth, where I was like, this has been such an adventure. They're going to pop out soon. I had forgotten that there was going to be a cart chase, which is like the signature thing in the movie, aside from the Flaming Heart scene.
1: I was obsessed with this film when it came out. And like I said, went to the movies five times to see it. Anything I could consume that had anything to do with this, uh, you know, I did. And the amount of, uh, you know, if not storyboards, making of footage, all this kind of stuff. the The one thing I've never dug into, they they did a compilation. It's just the first three films. It's probably why I won't, you know purchase it, but they they did a making of, whereas uh, they did one for each of the original Star Wars uh, trilogy films. They put all three Indiana Jones movies in a similar, uh, you know, making of book. Um, and I've seen bits and pieces of it. I've never uh, read it start to finish. And because there's two movies that won't ever be in that book, it kind of holds me back from it. But this was really comprehensively made, lovingly done. You know, yeah, I've heard that criticism you mentioned before that spielberg and lucas's worlds had kind of been turned upside down and artistically they channel that i don't i don't buy that i i think they just wanted to double down on this adventure and how crazy and over the top can we make this that each sequence continually outdoes the previous um you know it, it's amazing how much this moves and what these characters go through essentially in like days (laughs) you know the the chase at the beginning the plane crash swept up into this mystery now chasing these stones and and having to escape themselves and to wind up now uh in the slave children's crusade portion where all right Indy and Shorty and Willie are going to go down there and they're going to free them all that driving beat which for my money is the favorite of many to come out of this by John Williams with the you know the the sounds of hammers and metal clanking and all of that and you mentioned the temple set how about this mine set how about this physical location they created in London okay that you never question that you're not in a subterranean mine with the the gigantic bucket that is fed water and the different le- levels and layers you know the the mine shaft leads over here and you've got the ladders and you've got the the planks as walkways that he swings from one to the other. Like you just want to be in these locations.
0: Yeah. And again, it's an example kind of, as I think back, Oh, maybe, maybe that central mine area, it is just, just in quotes, one big space, but because they've committed to building it and to filming multiple scenes in it, of course it has the walkway that zigzags. And of course it has the big tank. That's not just, there to add something that's not you know rock and mine equipment you know it's a major story piece as they prepare to flood the mine to 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 get the goodies out and so forth you know it's just use using it and using it and really committing to saying this is an important portion of the movie here um and then that's even before we get you know <laughs> we get to that cart chase which I'll just say again, I was watching it with that critical eye. I was not going to pause, but I was watching it with that critical eye. And again, with the exception of some of the back projection stuff, which, you know, there's there's, there's not a better way to do it back then. You've already shot stuff that's impossible, you know, stuff that you actually wouldn't put your actors through. You're going to put them in front of that. Okay, that is what that is. That's not going to look 100% until uh, Lucasfilm and ILM come up with a better way with the volume and LED walls and all that. Um and even
1: five years from now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Even some of the water, like, you know, famously, water does not miniaturize. So that's why oftentimes water effects look fake. Um, I think that they planned the shots around the fact that some of the water that, you know, that 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 they knew the water wouldn't be miniaturizing, despite the fact you had a wonderful miniature set. Because time and time again, I'd say, Oh, I see where the water looks fake, but my eye is drawn to our trio running out of frame, you know, like running away from it. And that takes my eye just long enough until, no, now the water is splashing everywhere. Um, Again, it's with the height of knowing what they can do and the height of knowing what they can't do that they're creating shots around it. Um, Again, even down to, I would be hard-pressed to say, I found the doll in the railroad cart scene. I found the stop motion. Um, Things like the cart leaping from one you you know one set of track to another okay that does not look a thousand percent real also like i think we can all agree what are the odds if you happen to do that in real life it would Mm -hmm. still look fake because our brains just know the chaos of existence and so forth so it yeah
1: like would mine carts travel that fast up the you know the the peaks and valleys that are laid out in it, and then that whatever volcanic elements in this subterranean location. All right, you have the temple that's built over it, and of course they smartly uh, transition into these uh, mines that they're digging for these other two stones and the gems to support their cause. Uh, but to have the the uh, carts travel. Fast and then to make the the use of the break and the breaking of the break part of this whole sequence. Have you ever played the um, the Atari arcade Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Doom a Temple N- of Doom game?
0: No, definitely not.
1: Uh, you should make a point to and anybody if you haven't ever played that. it's a wonderfully done game. It's a little repetitive and it is challenging. Uh, but really, really good. I have ooh, I've spent a small mortgage on that at uh, points in my life. And then, you know, it, it's never been directly ported over to a video game system. But there are ways to play it. Um, watch somebody, I guess, this is, I, I can't believe I'm going to say it and advocate for it. W- watch someone play it on the YouTube, Matt. Um, and, and you'll see, like, what a great job they did bringing this film, these action sequences, uh, you know, to a video game, to something you would play. It's, it's pretty simple. You, you pick easy, medium, or, or hard path, and then you're immediately in the mine. You've got to, uh, they tell you how many children you have to whip out of a cage. The sequence that'll follow that once you've uh, gotten the kids out, the number that they tell you for that level, then you're in the uh, the mine shaft, and you've got to navigate that through all sorts of obstacles. And then you go into the Temple of Doom and you've got to steal a stone and it repeats that pattern three times because you've got to steal three stones and then you wind up on the rope bridge. And uh, it's really, really well done. Um, super early use of digitization of dialogue, albeit in the the wrong parts. So like when you get out of each minecart sequence, Indy hops out and says, we walk from here and they're replaying it from the film, albeit from, you know, when they were on the elephants. And uh, really, really exciting challenging game that recreates so well so many of the sequences of this climax they they don't do the water is is the only part they don't do
0: well with all this attention that we've placed on the cart scene one would think that that is indeed the climax of the movie but as you mentioned there still is the actual climax rope bridge we see how there's the ostensible possibility of escape and all of a sudden there's baddies in front of them there's baddies behind them Uh, pete to my eyes that's a real rope bridge i mean i'm assuming it's been built you know uh, out the wazoo to be safe but those look like our real actors on a real rope bridge with real extras starting to pen them in and so forth um some of the crocodile stuff is mildly over the top but that said you know do i want to be around a crocodile no because they still can do the things that are shown on on film here. And the trick,
1: Um, too, of it falls and suddenly close-up of crocodiles rolling over uh, whatever they've been thrown to to recreate this idea. Rolling
0: over some chicken or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's on the level of let's let the water go. Like, the the thing that takes me out of the end of the minecart sequence is... All right, he's he's stopped it. it. It's such a brilliant gag of, all right, uh, my foot is now on fire because I've used that as the brake. Water, water, oh, here comes the water, and they're running away. He's now yelling, water, water, and they go down an alley in the rock and water doesn't follow them. Water takes the long way around and, and doesn't find the route that they would go. <sighs>
0: again it's it it's half a click over from our reality um but yeah it's just with the whole rope bridge notion i mean you could you could you could sense if this was a serial it would be and what will happen next mm-hmm. week um but instead we don't have that luxury and it's you know hang on to it and he actually does cut it Um, I appreciate that it takes multiple swings because I think I think there's a story case we made for no he swings the thing and then get to the get to the action but the the tension of it taking a couple hacks there Um, and then you know just the the now vertical fight with uh, Indian Mola you know it's and the return of faith you know speaking the name of Shiva and and all of that with the nature of the stones here. Um, I don't know it just I mean it, it maintains the spiritual magic mythic you know choose your adjective uh, treatment of the unknown from the first film again I think without the baggage of of the Jewish faith the baggage of real Nazis and real Nazis looking for real magic uh, as as had happened and so forth. I think this I think this is a better climax. And I feel Pete like they heard they Lucas and Spielberg heard our criticism in that, oh, Indy doesn't really have command over the final showdown here in the first film. I mean, here he is, hands on the cart, feet smoking afterwards. Here he is, hands on the bridge, chopping the bridge down himself, using his archaeological knowledge, climbing back up and so forth. I mean, he's he's as hands on in the climax as you could be. He takes the biggest
1: pounding of the character's career in this film. And there was nothing cooler or tougher than 1984, Indiana Jones. I went as Indiana Jones for Halloween. Of course, that year I took a, I went to Catholic school. So I had the white dress shirt. I took an old one. I ripped the arm off. Made it dirty. Uh, you know, we tried to recreate. Um, it was super expensive at that time, like from stores to get the five o'clock shadow. So we tried to recreate that. Uh, my mom tried to with like makeup to to varying uh, levels of success on my face. You know, had like the uh, the the marks of blood all over. Had the little bag. Had the whip had the machete, um, you know, and everybody knew who you were. And, you know, just a lot of fun with that when, you know, really the only cosplaying you could do was was Halloween. And uh, to put him in this Kobayashi Maru situation, right, he is stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's got the the stones. He's got the rocks. He's got all the power here but he's in the middle of this bridge, but he does have the sword uh, that he decides to cut the bridge with, even though now Shorty and Willie have been pushed out onto it and that he's got the bond with Shorty to communicate in his language. All right, hold on lady. We're going for a ride. We all know it's coming once we know it's coming. Um, But imagining at that point through, you know that first viewing that he's going to cut this you never would have thought it so it is so exciting and then to follow that up with all right is is Ram going to rip his heart out of course we know he's not how is he going to prevent that and then there's the the moment of recoil where all right India's fought it off and he's got the stones in the bag and they tussle with them there and then you know, rewatching it now, it's strange that the bag lights on fire, but there is that religious uh, significance of it that you bring them together and the diamonds in them glow. Okay, is Indy somehow making magic stones do the magic, and they're too hot, and Mulnaram loses it and puts it uh, into Indy's hands. The other two go back into wherever they would go to be never found again. And he saves the day.
0: The, the, the victory aided by the British Indian army, which Captain bluebot you know, nice character callback. I, I think the film is sidestepping any sort of, you know, colonialism argument and so forth. How about this, Pete, the British Indian army united to do the right thing, help save the day. And, uh, we could watch this movie knowing that uh, 13 years afterwards there was Indian independence and all of that. Um, and then the return to the village, bringing the children back. I mean, again, I think that it is a fair criticism to say the last film, not only is Indy not that, you know, he doesn't really have his hand on the football um, for the big showdown. But then in the falling action afterwards, as we wrap things up, you know. You know he sorry the what's the phrase smart men what what is it who who is it who's taking care of the arc top top men right like hey, you're now we were separate on from
1: facebook Matt after we we posted that last week that the this podcast has top men I don't know that I've ever received a uh better compliment, and uh I've received three New Jersey press awards
0: <laughs> um but just the, you know, indie in defi- Indy is the top man at the end of this movie here. There's children reunited, families put back together, you know, cheering and so forth, even down to a sweet camera move where uh, I think it starts on Shorty and then the camera pulls back. And you can kind of see where where Harrison Ford and Kate Capshaw have been leaning back and they come together once the camera's together so that they can embrace or smooch or whatever it is. And it's just super high energy ending here um and a great conclusion to a great film
1: really an end credit sequence of its time the action going directly into the credits rolling as opposed to fade out credits roll or something like that and even the aspect ratio kind of changes um it it is of its time it really does look that but it's also uh, timeless in a way, you know, that the shorty, uh-oh, mushy part coming. You know, I've lived through bugs and fingers on statues that I wasn't allowed to see and nearly getting crushed and a heart ripped out, but I'm going to cover my eyes when Indy and, you know, uh, the lady are going to kiss. Uh, it's, it's in perfect characterization and again why i was so over the moon in love with this film in
0: 1984 it wins an oscar for best visual effects it's nominated for the music um you know not as beloved as the first one initially although i think it you know it certainly has come around i get uh, a it's... lot of
1: hate for this one being my favorite i got to tell you
0: well you know what i would just encourage people who maybe haven't seen it recently uh to to check it out again because you know like like look we live in a world now wh- and yeah, obviously like the definition of pg pg-13 and r sometimes that that can be a little muddy and so forth but if you're making a if you're going to spend more than 150 million dollars on a movie um nowadays you're looking for ways to make sure it's PG-13, and I don't mean pull back from the R. I mean like you sit and go, we have the best Ant Man three that there is. Oh crud, this might get PG. Teenagers might think this isn't edgy enough. Can we have, can we have somebody get into the recording booth here and say the S word, please? Just one more <laughs> time, or can we? Do we have any deleted footage well, when, of like
1: when Indy says it on the rope bridge? You were like, what?
0: Yeah, you know, yeah.
1: For, for all you had physically witnessed maybe that was the the puritanical aspect like i said before i was you know in fourth grade in catholic school or or transitioning from third to fourth grade and you know oh my god my my on-screen hero after luke skywalker just said a bad word
0: um by the way looking at the oscar nominees for visual effects for 1984 Uh, It shows you how small the world was. Um, Richard Edeland, who had won an Oscar the previous year for Return of the Jedi, um, had moved on to his own company by 1984. He was nominated for Ghostbusters and uh, 2010, let alone a lot of the Star Wars people back for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune with, in some cases, their second or third Oscar. So, Again, just point being, a movie like this having its edge having these high priority on special effects and so forth we're used to that now and you know some of the things like the blood or the cultural stuff or the dinner scene i think would have leaned more towards r nowadays but i mean this is a solid pg-13 movie consider carefully if you're watching it with somebody well under 13 yeah um, consider what that pg-13 means relative to like oh man, Endgame is PG 13. And then that all the dead people come back. And then all the bad people just kind of basically do an Obi-Wan Kenobi turn into dust and fade away kind of thing. Otherwise, I don't know. There might've been blood, but instead they turned it into green goo. Um, But yeah, what a, what a thrill this movie is from beginning to end.
1: Raiders of the Lost Ark is a film. (laughs) This Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is just a great ride of a B movie. And I think there's a place for both of them. You could not have made this his first outing. This movie would look radically different if made today. It it wouldn't come together in this way. Like, you know, the, the short round stuff alone might be seen as over the top, stereotypical, um, you know, just just potentially problematic. And that it exists at a place in time when it was made. That's why it would be so interesting to return to his character and like what ultimately goes on with him or even is established to have happened. And that's the end of it. You know, I'm I'm so glad that they've, you know, been up front with the decision that there will never be another Indiana Jones, that they're not going to pass the mantle that it will be Shia LaBeouf. Or, you know, there were even discussions uh, you know, floated, could Chris Pratt, thank God that's not gonna be the case, come and just take on the hat the mantle and and continue these. But I think the franchise can continue with characters from it. And that's why, you know, particularly given this resurgence that Kei Hui Kwan has had this year with his performance and his nomination in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and that he's done so much stunt work, the, the irony, now uh that the 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 moons have aligned, Matt. The time is finally right. Uh turn over the Indiana Jones franchise to short round and you know uh write this uh wrong in terms of what's gone on with his career.
0: Well keeping our podcasting maybe not career we're keeping our podcasting uh raft afloat on the the rapid river and so forth is everyone who supports us on patreon.com fantastic geek and our eternal thanks your support keeps us out of dodgy uh hidden areas to steal (laughs) diamonds and crystals
1: yes i don't have to uh go and uh find mcguffins and then sell them for diamonds Uh, to uh, shady underworld types because people go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek and they choose the level at which to support our expeditions. All sorts of levels to choose from, but it only takes a dollar a month to get you into our very own Temple of Doom. Can't contribute right now? We won't pull your heart out of your chest, but we would ask you to go to apple podcasts and to leave us a rating or a review to any of our 33 podcast feeds
0: and pete let's keep the conversation going whether it's uh talking about Star Trek picard which we'll be podcasting in the next couple of weeks whether it's the return to lucasfilm adjacent stuff with mandalorian whether it's ahead of dial of destiny in june uh i guess we'll be talking about the other two Indiana jones films uh or, or oh, indeed we pete, will if there's the request that we continue this long and strange journey of Lucasfilm, maybe maybe past all of those things that I mentioned, at some point we get to go to the new trilogy, question mark, the Howard the Duck trilogy. Oh, that <laughs> bombed. The new trilogy, Willow, that didn't bomb like Howard the Duck, but did not make indie and Star Wars money. Yikes, what are we going to do? Radioland Murders, question mark? Uh, Pete, maybe even one day Lucasfilm will return to its Indiana Jones and Star Wars roots. I don't know. Um, but Pete, the discussion for all of those, how can people be in touch with you on a prominent and still as of today, existing social media network?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K L R K E T E L A A R 12,733 followers. Can't be wrong.
0: And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com, Check us out on Twitter, Instagram and Gmail where we are fantastic geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com
1: slash fantastic geek, all one word with the P and the H like it
0: today. The pop culture podcast journey continues tomorrow. As we talk about the DCU, that's right. The brand new DC comics cinema universe. That's coming soon. Uh, And, of course, preparing for Picard next weekend ahead of that 10-episode run and our podcast therein. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final Temple of Doom word.
1: My professional name.